It's one of the more insidious challenges facing any organization that's doing business in today's data-driven digital world. Tech debt is a particularly charged term. It often implies that things weren't done right due to various constraints, be it time, budget, or skills, and people are unhappy about it. Welcome to Overcoming Tech Debt, a brand new podcast series from the thought leaders at IDC, sponsored by DXC. Hello, I'm Rohit Mehra, Group VP for IDC's Worldwide Network and Telecommunications Research Practice. And I'm Mary Johnston-Turner, Research Vice President, Future of Digital Infrastructure at IDC. And it's our pleasure to be your hosts for the next three episodes as we take a comprehensive look at the issue of tech debt, its impact, and how to address it. Coming up in this premiere episode, Constraining the Path to Growth, we learn how DXC is helping customers to overcome tech debt and improve opportunities for digital business growth. On episode two, Data, the Pipeline to Digital Business, we'll explore how DXC is helping customers to improve the quality and timeliness of data-driven decision-making by breaking down data silos and retiring tech debt. And to wrap things up in episode three, we'll dig into the value of partner-led tech debt modernization, including a look at best practices, customer success stories, and the importance of working with the right technology partners. We have a lot of ground to cover, and let's face it, Every passing moment means your organization could be accumulating more debt. So let's get started. Our first guest on this special series is Chris Daniel, leading edge researcher at DXC. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rohit. Hi, Mary. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's start by considering what the term tech debt means to IT and digital business decision makers. Mary, how would you define it? The term tech debt's often used in the IT industry to highlight the business costs of failing to modernize or optimize software and infrastructure on an ongoing basis. But as we know, technology changes very rapidly. And over time, programming languages and APIs evolve, automation becomes more sophisticated, security becomes more efficient, and infrastructure becomes more flexible. At the same time, it's not easy to rewrite existing applications and to move them to newer infrastructure platforms or cloud services. It can be costly and it can potentially disrupt the business. So as a result, it's not a surprise that just about every large organization I talk to relies on multiple generations of application and infrastructure technologies. So the risk to the business is that the organization can fail to understand that it does need to have a program and a budget for ongoing renewal and modernization and has to sort of balance the risk with the fact that delaying can really be costly over time. When technologies become brittle and dated, the business is at risk of losing revenue and agility. And IDC's Future of Digital Infrastructure Research Program that I lead tracks how organizations are dealing with the challenges of supporting and modernizing critical technologies. Our research helps organizations to assess the risk of tech debt and helps them plan for effective modernization. Turning to you, Chris, what are your thoughts on tech debt? 
I understand that DXC Leading Edge has recently completed primary research and an assessment of tech debt and modernization across 10 industries. Can you tell us more? Sure. Earlier this year, we spoke with 750 CIOs, CTOs, and technical leaders. What we found is that tech debt is a particularly charged term. It often implies that things weren't done right due to various constraints, be it time, budget, or skills, and people are unhappy about it. They try to put numbers and estimate how big an investment is needed to get things just right. But it's the word right, which is often a problem on its own. There are situations where we know what right means. If you, for example, don't install security patches on time, you've not only got tech debt, but usually security risks and large liabilities to third parties. If your company uses poorly written software, and we know that this software could be written better according to a certain standard, is that tech debt? Not necessarily. If you have a startup trying to confirm a market opportunity, the low quality code is perfectly right for the situation. It's not the deviation from an ideal standard that matters that makes the tech debt, but the lack of the ability to react to changes. Few people would complain about an old but working solution if only it was still fit for purpose. However, rapid changes in the external environment can render even once perfect solutions very problematic. Hmm, those are serious concerns indeed. I'd like to ask you both, how widespread is the problem of tech debt? Well, it's all around us. At IDC, we've been tracking global customer sentiment about the state of infrastructure investments and business outcomes. And our research shows that many organizations are struggling to improve operational efficiency and to reduce the cost of operations. In fact, 35% of the companies we recently polled told us that they are spending more on infrastructure than the business requires. And they believe tech debt is the number one reason that that spending is too high. What's interesting is that at the same time, 28% of companies said they're not spending enough on infrastructure to support the business. And they point to the number one cause of this underspending as a lack of C-level understanding about the business benefits of investing in infrastructure. So whether you're spending too much or too little, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. The core issue is that leaders don't have a solid understanding of how failure to continuously modernize and retire tech debt can really impact the bottom line negatively and create unintended business risk. And, you know, we see it everywhere. The U.S. Internal Revenue Service has been gaining a lot of headlines lately as it's struggling to deal with uh, years of backlogs that are often due to a very paper-intensive system that requires staff to key in data multiple times. I mean, that's sort of an extreme example of failure to modernize critical systems and how it can really impact the business. I think for many organizations, the emergence of generative AI and, and the continued investment in other AI solutions is going to be another one of those markers that highlights the risk and the downside of tech debt, because These organizations are going to struggle uh, to ingest and share large volumes of critical information that are located in many sources, many vintages of of platforms and uh, data models. And it's another area that I think organizations are going to start to see this stress uh, and the cost of tech debt. 
I totally agree, Mary. This allows us to question the word tech in techte because of tourism. The tech portion doesn't have to be the cause of the problem. It might be the effect. The deficit of adaptability might be caused by many other factors that aren't necessarily technical factors. Data that exists where organizational data is inconsistent, corrupt, or false. There is user experience debt when an organization provides an outdated experience that requires modernization. We also talk about process debt. Organizations tend to learn and codify those learnings in processes. Then, as needs change, portion of the process might change. This may improve part, but not all of the cycle the process supports. The process evolution may become suboptimized overall. There is quality debt. A series of small, seemingly unimportant trade-offs can lead to a situation where a product or a family of products starts losing market share. We also experience supply chain debts, where some organizations outsource too many things, and without being careful, sometimes they happen to outsource even the management of the outsourcing, and they become reliant on their vendors, and they are over-focused on efficiency, and they lose their ability to adapt to the market. There is also architectural debt, one of the most dangerous types of debt when a particular approach was selected a number of years ago, such as a plane frame or a processor architecture. But the market situation has changed to the extent that the old approach no longer works in the environment. We also have customer debt, which is, for me personally, the most interesting one. Because sometimes customers want to stick to old versions of products or service because they want to avoid the migration cost themselves. This is dangerous because it incurs lots of non-monetary costs on the organization, management attention, maintaining legacy systems, and above all, creates a false sense of security that you still got the market. At the day's end, this is really all about organizational debt where the organization is heavily dependent on some assets and doesn't have the capacity to adapt to changing market conditions. So Chris, what do you think is the source of tech debt? Expectations. What do you mean? It's not that you show up at a job and think, I will make some debt today. Quite contrary. If you are a passionate engineer or a passionate manager, building solutions or designing solutions is a form of an art. It's an expression. You want to build something which works well, looks nice, and is elegant. But if you need to fit that beauty into budget constraints and reconcile it with expectations of others, not to mention profitability, the impression of debt arises. But that's not that debt nor organizational debt itself. This is just an emotional fallout after making a compromise, perhaps a little unsatisfactory compromise. If the environment doesn't change, you haven't got tech debt. You've got less than ideal solution. And even a poorly written system can last many years in a stable environment, except we suspect stable environment no longer exists. So when the environment changes, Many organizations realize they have to change, but they can't because their systems were not engineered for change. They weren't engineered for change because that wasn't incentivized. And this is the moment 
when debt becomes tangible. It's the same system. It worked up until now, but because the environment changed, suddenly it becomes a liability. To explain why this happened, I need to make an assumption. I believe that it is the environment which shapes human behaviors. So if I would be responsible for paying debt I'm making today, and today I would get the benefits of it, I think I would be reasonable with making the balance. But if I can get the benefits today and somebody else, perhaps not even me, somebody, maybe a person that I don't know, will have to pay it back in the future, that's a completely different set of assumptions, isn't it? Well said, Chris. Mary, over to you. What's your perspective on tactics for overcoming tech debt? Well, in my experience, the alignment of vision and expectations across business and IT leaders is really fundamental to whether an organization decides to hang on to investments for too long or commits to proactively planning for and investing in modernization and recognition of the ongoing evolution of technology, which, you know, is a continuous thing. So again, nobody thinks that everything's going to be so-called perfect on any given day, but clearly many of the things Chris talked about, the architectural evolution, the process evolution, the user interface, there has to be a, a framework, right? And a commitment and a vision for how to get there. So you know, having said that, you know, many organizations tell me that they struggle to build a compelling vision and business case for senior leadership approval. This is like a fundamental thing. The effective organizations typically have a, a strong visionary IT leader who is a partner to the business stakeholders. And that means that they get the technical organizations and the line of business teams looking at the same metrics. It's really interesting. You know, we run into organizations where the line of business teams really don't understand that out-of-date systems or hard-to-integrate workloads um, are, are a problem. You know, they somehow think that magically everything will integrate, everything will automate, and things will be great. Um, and they don't always appreciate the incremental hard work and the cost that has to go around with that. So then they say, well, you know, I'll just go to the cloud. That'll solve everything. And even then they don't always consider that, you know, there's still risk and cost to migration of workloads. There's performance concerns. There's data protection and cyber resiliency concerns. There's integration planning. Older applications may have latency restrictions. There's a lot of things that have to be considered. So what we're finding is that the most successful companies are able to create that collaborative approach to making architectural and modernization decisions, both architecture and budget, so that all the stakeholders have a voice. And there's a level of trust there where there's a proactive planning for a migration strategy that won't disrupt the business, that there's a fallback, even a willingness to run systems in parallel for a while if needed. Um, things that make the business comfortable that they're going to get the benefits in the, of the outcome over time, but also that they won't be too seriously disrupted, um, you know, on any given day while they're going through it. And I think that the top-down leadership, the business commitment, and the tie back to top priority business goals and pain points is really important. I would agree with that assessment entirely, Mary. Next, I'd like to hear how DXC is helping customers address tech debt, especially given the shaky economy. But first, a quick break. Stay with us. 
This series is brought to you by DXC Technology. DXC helps global companies run their mission-critical systems and operations while modernizing IT, optimizing data architectures, and ensuring security and scalability across public, private, and hybrid clouds. The world's largest companies and public sector organizations trust DXC to deploy services to drive new levels of performance, competitiveness, and customer experience across their IT estates. Learn more about how we deliver excellence for our customers and colleagues at DXC.com. That's where you can also download the DXC Leading Edge Research Report on how to manage tech debt and make modernization happen in your organization. Now, back to the conversation. Welcome back to Overcoming Tech Debt. Today, we are talking about how failing to address technical debt can seriously constrain the path to growth. With the help of my colleague, Mary Johnston-Turner from IDC and Chris Daniel from DXC. Before the break, Mary shared some of her tactics for tackling tech debt. But Chris, I'd love to hear how DXC has been working with customers to address the issue, especially given the current economic climate. There are a number of approaches, and understanding how to decompose and recompose systems is a DXC specialization. What is equally important is that we run strategic workshops that help customers understand how they began onboarding debt, and instead of trying to pay it off, we help them set up their incentives better inside the organization so they will continuously mitigate dangerous types of tech debt in the future. Mary, would you like to weigh in here? Yeah, I mean, I think Chris's perspective is right on in terms of the need for alignment across the organization and getting everyone on the same page. At IDC, we've been tracking the impact of inflation and the risk of recession on technology spending plans and overall budgets. And we're actually encouraged from an infrastructure perspective because only 20% of organizations worldwide think that their tech budgets overall will be lower than they originally planned in 2023. And security and infrastructure optimization and automation are generally identified as the most immune to cuts. So organizations, I think, are getting the message about how important infrastructure and and continual modernization is to the effectiveness of their business. But they really are feeling today that they want to spend every dollar as efficiently and effectively as possible. I think that I'm seeing smart leaders in, in some organizations really using these current pressures as catalysts to try to accelerate and, and raise awareness around the need for modernization. Organizations are saying there's actually a cost to not modernizing. And you know, if we invest now, if we improve operations, improve automation, improve security, streamline, simplify our architectures, improve data integrations, get ready for Gen AI, we can really make a big difference to the cost, to the performance, and to the sustainability of the business. So again, it comes back to those effective leaders making sure to educate the C-suite and the line of business leaders and getting alignment around the value of modernization, not just the risk and the costs. Part of the challenge here is that we look at big investments and capex where the path to deal with debt is very much an OPEX approach. And at moments where margins are under pressure, OPEX and margin are the areas executives look to first. Right. That makes sense, Chris. Mary, what is IDC seeing in terms of pressure on OPEX budgets? 
You know, organizations are asking us for help in assessing whether their organization is efficient or if the ratio of headcount to systems is appropriate. You know, I get those kind of questions a lot. But unfortunately, when you're running a lot of older workloads and older infrastructure platforms, the support for them can be pretty costly and complex to operate. And there's the relationship here, right, between the technology, the platforms, the application architectures, and then the operating models. So we're, we're really trying to help organizations understand that they need to maybe simplify and streamline and in doing so can probably reduce OPEX budgets if they can, you know, get rid of some of those fragmented monitoring and lower level automation tools that are very specific to individual technologies and use cases and move to more of a intelligent, automated, consistent management control plane and software defined operating model. I think that that in, in all our research, the organizations that are seeing the most outsized improvements and business outcomes through the use of infrastructure tend to be the ones who are recognizing they need to automate, they need to bite the bullet and modernize some of their operational roles. They, you know, they really can make a big difference in that OpEx consumption and, and, and capital investment if they can actually run things more efficiently improve utilization, get rid of older, expensive platforms. It's a complex conversation, but I think that more and more organizations are starting to recognize that they really have to look at how to deal with the OPEX side when it comes to maintaining aging applications and enabling modern infrastructure. Chris, in your research, you use a phrase that asks, who gets the cake? Can you elaborate what you mean by that? Sure. So I've mentioned before that tech debt is not an inherently bad thing. It's a normal side effect of a simple trade-off. You want more resources today at the cost of your resources in the future, perhaps because you have a big opportunity open today. So it's a normal side effect of making an investment. And any investment limits our ability to do different investments in the future. There are organizations who have been forced to take significant amount of tech debt due to their market environment. If all of the players in a given space optimize heavily for efficiency and sacrifice their ability to adapt, you've got no choice. Because if you will think about adaptability, you will be less competitive than the other players. So taking on tech debt is almost like a reasonable expectation. There are different situations because sometimes it's not just the external customers who will get the benefits of debt. Sometimes it can be shareholders, especially those oriented on short-term gains. In some other cases, it might be executives recognized for doing things on time and within budget. Yes, perhaps it isn't ideal. It will have consequences in a number of years. But right now and here, I'm getting my bonus. And what we can observe here is that the benefits of debt More resources now often are captured by different groups than those who will be paying for it later. In such a situation, it's hard to properly gauge how much tech debt is acceptable. The benefactors will always go for as much as possible because they don't have to worry about consequences. If you deliver a project on time and within budget today, you get your bonus, 
and then you are planning to change your job in five years and the consequences will not catch up with you. This is actually the cake. You get the upside without the downside. You're making me hungry now, Chris. Turning to you, Mary. Many tech debt projects impact multiple systems that are mission critical to the organization. What advice would you like to give to help IT decision makers help build support and trust with line of business and C-suite decision makers to ensure they get funding by it? Well, gaining trust is critical, Rohit. Uh, The most successful organizations I talk to are are able to break down modernization efforts into specific projects that build on themselves, again, with an architectural vision and a business vision. But they also look at more than just the dollar cost of equipment or people or staff reductions or whatever the plus and minus is on the dollars. What they really have to factor in is the impact to those overall business goals. You know, how is this modernization effort going to improve our business resiliency and agility? How is it going to improve employee productivity, not just in one swim lane, one application, but across that entire employee experience that may actually work with multiple applications and data from many different sources? Same thing for customer engagement. How is it going to improve not just the UI, uh, but the fundamental you know, underpinnings of how customers engage with us across all the many touch points? Security and compliance obviously are, are big priorities that need to be addressed consistently across many different projects and resources. And then also consider the benefits of reducing downtime, the benefits of faster time to market, and the benefits of being able to launch new digital business services and even create new monetization models because we're able to get all the data together, be able to provide a a rapid response, maybe even harness things like generative AI. So it, it, again, comes down to that alignment between business and IT, and there's got to be trust across the board. Let me double down on resiliency. Chris, can you share with us some thoughts on resiliency? It's often in the failure to be resilient that we see tech debt become visible. For instance, airlines who have left all scheduling applications in place and can't deal with multiple modern problems coming at them simultaneously are a good example of that. Exactly, Chris. We see resiliency as the ability to deal effectively with unexpected events, regardless of where they come from. In your airline example, that could be, you know, a confluence of storms and hurricanes and who knows what that brings down systems, right? Uh, It could be cyber risk. It could be supply chain risk. It could be pandemics, climate, geopolitical disruptions. It seems like nowadays they all come at once. And it's really critical for organizations that want to grow their business in these uncertain times. Uh, You know, our research shows that tech debt can be directly attributable to organizations suffering (laughs) extremely during these business disruptions. So, you know, brittle systems that kind of worked on a good day, like your airline example, don't work very well when all the dominoes start to fall, right? They're disconnected. The organization has blind spots. It can't make a decision. It can't detect security intrusions on a comprehensive basis. It can't connect to its customers. It really gets pretty bad. So at the same time, for organizations that want to grow the business, you know, retiring tech debt 
allows them to reduce and eliminate a lot of this very dangerous operational friction. It allows them to introduce new capabilities faster. It allows them to have more consistency of operations and security, which is just so critical. And perhaps most importantly, it positions the company for the future by creating that more flexible digital business environment that can be scaled and updated and integrated and take advantage of emerging technologies over time. So Chris, what is the best way for an organization to get started tackling tech debt? Budgets for the IT department are always challenged in favor of core business investments. Keeping the lights on becomes key. But what do you do when the IT gets old and vulnerable? Clients overwhelmingly don't have funds to modernize, so the funding must be more sophisticated and self-generating. Modernization defies the traditional short-term ROI model. Focus on business value improvement with incremental gains that builds over time. DXC's technical debt factory is uniquely designed for this problem, providing self-funding engineering plans and benchmarks for clients to modernize their applications to achieve optimal value. So if you want to get started, emphasize the gain, improved business fit, value, agility, while recognizing the most traditional savings, reducing cost, complexity, and risk. That's a great summary, Chris. Thanks. Mary, as we approach the end of this episode, any final thoughts for our audience? You know, tech debt clearly is a driver for cost overruns in IT, and it's certainly a major source of business risk, as I think we've discussed today. Now more than ever, with ongoing global concerns around inflation, and we're not sure whether we're going to have a recession or not, but certainly there's concerns, it's imperative for organizations to get out from under this debt and invest in more agile digital business platforms that will allow them to both reduce risk and grow the business more efficiently while taking better advantage of new capabilities such as Gen AI, next generation cloud services, edge computing, mobility, and wireless. It's, it's just going to be impossible to compete as a digital business uh, unless organizations have a plan for addressing the, the tech debt friction. What about you, Chris? Any final thoughts or advice from DXC? First of all, Thank you for having us. This has been a great conversation. We'd like to encourage people to download the report, then reach out via email or LinkedIn. I know we are going to be continuing this conversation with IDC in future episodes, and I look forward to listening. I agree. We've covered a lot of valuable and timely ground here. Thanks for being here, Chris. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. Our guest today has been Chris Daniel, leading edge researcher at DXC. I hope you'll join us again next time when we learn how DXC is helping customers to improve the quality and timeliness of data-driven decision-making by breaking down data silos and retiring tech debt. Until then, I'm Mary Johnston-Turner, Research Vice President, Future of Digital Infrastructure at IDC. And I'm Rohit Mehra, Group VP for Network and Telecommunications at IDC. Thanks for listening. If you haven't heard them already, I'd encourage you to check out IDC's other podcasts like Future Enterprise, The Cloud ERP Playbook, and Making Hybrid Work. You can find them on all the major platforms, including Apple, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Talk to you soon.